Well, good to see all of you tonight and all of you who are joining us uh, uh, on, uh, online. We're glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, find your place in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. These days we continue. I'm on uh, Wednesday nights, I want to pick back up with some things we had started to talk about um, before we came into these days of interruption and change. Uh, things you need. And so I want to continue back on that theme, and I'm coming back to one of the early themes, and I'm going to spend some weeks on this. I've already been doing this. If you've been joining us on Wednesday night, some of you have, some of you have not, and I'm, uh, I, I know that's uh, uh, just because of people's schedules. But tonight I want to talk to you about enduring encouragement, and I want to especially focus on uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 11 12 and 13. So find your place there, Hebrews chapter 12. We've looked at Hebrews 12 before, and now we come back to look at it again. And God bless you all for being here. Heavenly Father, it is good for us to be together and to have fellowship around the Word of God and for the Holy Spirit of God to be our teacher. We are grateful for all that you do for us. As uh, our sisters just shared with us, your faithfulness is great and glorious and wonderful. Your loving kindnesses never cease, and your faithfulness is always with us, and your compassion never fails. Praise the Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness in our unfaithfulness. Great is your faithfulness in our unwillingness to serve you at times. But we thank you tonight. We pray that we might be encouraged by the Word of God tonight. We all need another reminder of the importance of enduring encouragement. We need it in our own lives. Our friends and family need it in these days of trouble. And so we pray that you might give us insight and understanding into what you are seeking to do in the world, in the church and also in our personal lives in these days of change and interruption, disruption, anger, fear, hatred, ridicule, criticism, violence, in ways that some of us perhaps have never seen before. But we know that you are at work and you're doing your work. We pray for you to have mercy on the church. We pray that you would awaken people to see the need for Jesus and turn to Jesus and be saved in these days. It is our constant and urgent prayer. Forgive us when we are busy about silly things that don't matter and we miss our priorities that you've given us as your people. May we be encouraged now. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For the sake of time, I want to come back because I'm going to give you several things and I'm going to do my outline a little bit different. I want to give you some considerations uh, that come from the first 11 verses of Hebrews 12. And this is kind of to catch us all up a little bit on these truths. Then I want to make some observations, especially about verses 12 and 13, uh, and then give you a few things uh, to remember, to apply, and then uh, some things perhaps we can use in our daily lives. And then we'll be on our way. And I hope for us to have some time uh, to have prayer at the end, uh, because I do feel a burden that we need to find a time as a group of people to pray together. And so uh, those of you who are joining us online, I'll do the best I can to engage you also in our time of prayer that we'll seek to do at the end. So let's, uh, looking around, knowing all of you who are here, you're very familiar with Hebrews chapter 12, but no matter how wonderful and how familiar we are with God's Word, there's always something new that we discover from it every time we read it. Do you agree with that? I do. I believe that with all my heart. So here we are again, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read together. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin." 
and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed." Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we come back to consider the importance of God's discipline, fatherly discipline for all of God's children. That's all of us who are here who name the name of Jesus Christ, who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Well, the fact of the matter is we're assured here that if you're a child of God, you will be disciplined by God. You'll not be exempted. You'll not escape the discipline of God, and the discipline of God is painful, and the discipline of God is hurtful, but the discipline of God is necessary, and the good news is it's temporary. I want to give you some, some statements at the beginning that uh, I hope will help you. Notice the transition from verse 11 into 12. Therefore is a conclusion to what's been said in the first 11 verses. All discipline, all discipline, for the moment, in these temporary times, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by all discipline, by the discipline of God, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen weak hands, feeble knees, and straight and straighten your path, the path of your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So let's do some thinking together. First of all, God's discipline is temporary pain for uh, is temporary pain for eternal peace. God's discipline is temporary pain for eternal peace. You see, we are here in this world, and what will it take for the Lord? What will it take? I believe these times, a part of these times, I've said this to you many times from this pulpit, is God is trying to pull our, our greedy hands holding on to the world and man and his solutions pull our hands away so that we might learn to trust God. And God's discipline is temporary pain. It's real pain. And all of you tonight feel it in various ways. Some of you may not want to admit it. Some of the men in here act like you don't have any problems or pain, but you do. You're just lying. You have it. And you feel it. And you know it. God's discipline is temporary pain for eternal peace. God's discipline is temporary pain for eternal joy. It's temporary, but there's eternal peace, there's eternal joy. Because He is disciplining us to be His children, He is disciplining us for eternity, my dear friends. God's discipline is temporary badness for eternal goodness. So when we come into thinking about times that come in our life when there are troubles and bad, I call them temporary bad times. Temporary bad times are times where God disciplines. There are those who still believe in the church that there are just 
accidental occurrences in the world. I cannot imagine anybody saying that they're a follower of Jesus Christ and reading the Word of God who thinks that accidents and chance and luck is the way the world turns. No, the world turns under the sovereign authority of God and His purposes to be accomplished. And that includes in your life and in mine. So today, these days that have come on us are not sudden and shocking to God. They are a part of the plan and purpose of God. So how are they playing out in your life? You're still fighting them? You're still griping about it? You're still criticizing everybody and everything and complaining and living in fear and doubt? What kind of emotions have you had? We've, we've probed these things together for a number of weeks together. As your pastor, I'm trying to ask you to evaluate your heart. You see, these, uh, these days are not accidental. They're not biological. They're providential. God is seeking to do His work in our lives. He's seeking to pry our hands away from these things of the world. He's also seeking to set our minds above. What would happen if the church here, this church, set its mind on things above rather than on the foolish things we set our minds on? And my, do we think about some foolish, silly things. The cares and worries of the world. The things we come in here distracted by. The things we have emotional upset about. Well, God is seeking, because we are His children, to take us and shape us into Christ's likeness. So some considerations quickly from these first verses. Just follow me along with your Bible. Just glance through as I make them. Number one, the, and I'm sorry I don't have the outlines for you. I don't believe we printed them. If you ever want them, they're on the website. Before you come to church, you can copy it off. Or if you want to cheat, some of you have your devices, just so you're not watching the sports. I guess there's no sports to watch. That's good news. Just so you're not watching the news while we're in here trying to have church. But you can pull that up and you can look at it. <clears throat> I'm sorry I don't have it for you and I don't have it on the screen. That just means you'll have to listen better, won't you? Some considerations from the first 11 verses. Number one, temporary hard conditions for God's people reveal God's gracious love for them. Did you hear what I just said? Hard conditions for God's people reveal God's gracious love for them. What? Well, I thought if God loved me, He'd make everything good. Hard conditions. Temporary hard conditions. For the people of God, it's always been this way. American Christians aren't going to get out of this. We try. We've tried to. Temporary hard conditions for God's children reveal, reveals God's gracious love for them. Verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. The duty of God's children is to endure God's temporary hard discipline. Did you hear me? Number two, the duty. There is a duty here. We don't talk about duty anymore. We talk about privilege. We talk about rights. We don't talk about duty. But for the Christian, there is a duty to follow Jesus. There is a duty to endure hardship. There is a duty to believe and trust God by faith. The duty of God's children is to endure, listen to me, God's temporary hard discipline. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons, by, for by what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? Number 3, the lack of temporary hard discipline is an evidence that you're not saved. If you do not experience, if you're not experiencing Hard discipline, the temporary hard discipline of God that comes through trials and other various ways, you're not saved. Whatever you call yourself, God's children experience assuredly the discipline of God. So we read in verse number 8, But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you see every believer, every believer partakes in the disciplining hand of God, the hard, sad sorrow of discipline, then you are illegitimate children and you're not sons. So tonight, think about that. If you're just coasting along, seems to be all good. It's what the psalmist continually couldn't understand. God, why do the, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? 
It's because God has purposes to make us like Christ in the midst of the world in which we live. If you don't experience the discipline of God, you're lost and you're still in your sin and you need to be saved. Fourth, the duty of God's children is to submit. Not only is the duty of God's children to endure, the duty of God's children is to submit to the discipline of God. Verse 9, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Perhaps you were like me. If, if I didn't respect him, believe me, I, I understood quick what it means to respect my father. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? You have a duty to not only endure the struggles God has... Well, oh, Pastor Mike, it doesn't seem fair that I have all of it. But this is not about fairness. This is about your good. This is about developing you into Christ's likeness, not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your kids, not your grandkids. The duty of God's children is to submit, not only to endure, but to submit to the discipline of God and the temporary hard conditions of discipline, listen, are God's gracious gift of good to His children. God has opened His hands in discipline to tell you this is a good thing for you. I hope you're listening to me tonight. I'm talking about the conditions in which you're living today. With the restrictions and the frustrations and the interruptions and the mistreatment, the attacks, the violence, the wickedness, the arrogance that goes on in the world today while God has, in these temporary hard conditions, used them to discipline you in order that you may see God's gracious gift of good in your life. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best, but He disciplines us for our good. Please notice that we may share His holiness. Lord, I want to be more like you. Good. I'm going to give you some more problems. Good. Lord, I want to glorify you. Good. Look what I did to the Lord Jesus when He was on the earth. What did we read? Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Finally, the, the, the sixth consideration from these first 11 verses is this. The peacefulness of living rightly is produced from God's training discipline. I'm going to say it again. The peacefulness of living rightly. You know, there is a peace when you live right. You don't have to worry about did you... Cuss somebody, gossip about somebody, lie about somebody, cheat somebody, commit adultery, whatever it may be. Peaceful, righteous living comes as God disciplines us and trains us. That's what verse number 11 is saying. All discipline for the moment seems sad, hard, sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields peaceful, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, some of you, and I want to encourage uh, the young ones in here who have their children. I want to remind all of you who've got grandkids in here. You're not doing the best when you give your kids everything they want. Did you know that? Did you know that? Aren't you glad when you were young your mom and daddy didn't give you everything you wanted? Well, I can't get one amen out of you tonight, but it's the truth whether you amen or not. The reason why some of you are as good as you are and live like you are is because you had somebody who disciplined you whether you liked it or not. Lord, I don't know if I want this. Well, that's not really an option, is it? You know, I never really sat down with my dad and said, Dad, you know, I really don't want to be disciplined. That wasn't a choice. Training and discipline. Training and discipline. Discipline when I'd done things that were not right. But oh, by the way, Routines and the disciplines for children, the routine and the discipline of training, it is what makes us like Jesus Christ. What are the observations we have then? Therefore, with all of this going on, with all of this hardness that we must endure, with all of these things that seem to come up, it seems like every day something's happening. It seems like we can never get a rest from this. Some of you still want to go back to something that won't ever exist again. You, you want it back. You want it back. It's now a new normal. It's not going to be the same. 
It's going to be different. You don't like it. You're kicking and screaming. But you see, that's the whole point. Will you submit to the discipline of God in your life? Well, because of these hard times in our life, you know what happens to us? Our hands get weak and our knees get feeble. And that's the youngest of us in here. If you follow Jesus Christ, you experience weakness and feebleness in your soul. Unless you're just an arrogant liar and you deceive yourself and try to talk to yourself that you're really good. No, every one of every last one of us and all of you listening to me, whoever there is out there, when you follow the Lord and you experience these times of endurance and trouble and difficulty, oh, how you get weak and you get feeble. And sometimes you go off the path that God has given you to live on so that you might honor and glorify God. Where are you today? Where are you today? The strongest of you standing in this room, you men, you get weak. You get feeble. This is not a verse that's describing those that are, that are weak among the church who are sickly. This is describing what happens when you expend your energy walking with God in hard times, being under the discipline of God. And that's where we are today, every day. So observation one, he says, strengthen yours and others' weakened hands in the good fight of faith, despite the temporary bad conditions. This word to strengthen, King James Bible is lift up, lift up the weak hands, lift them up. It's the idea to straighten them, straighten those hands out. You see, this condition reminds us sometimes of what happens to us when we're convicted of our sin in the midst, you see, when we're disciplined by God, He convicts us of our sin, indwelling sin in our life. I read from Ezekiel 7, 16 and 17, but they that escape. This is Ezekiel talking about the horrible devastation that's coming on Jerusalem and came on Jerusalem, total destruction. Those, many of the people died by sword, listen, and those who were there died by pestilence. That's what's going on in the world today, pestilence. But they that escaped of them shall escape and shall be on the mountains like doves of the valley, all of them mourning, every one for his iniquity. All hands shall be feeble and all knees shall be weak as water. That's what happens when there's conviction of my sin in my life. When God really gets a hold of you and convicts you of what you say that's inappropriate. When God convicts you of what you do and how you treat other people. That's what happens to us. Our hands are weakened, as Ezekiel says. Our, our hands are feeble and our knees are weak as water. Ezekiel 21.7, When they say to you, Why do you groan? It's describing Ezekiel looking at the city in devastation and judgment under God and how he was groaning. He had holy grief, as we've talked about, as we ought to have today. We ought to have holy grief for what's going on in this world today over the sinfulness and wickedness of mankind and turning against God. When they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news that is coming. And every heart will melt, all hands will be feeble, every spirit will faint, and all knees will be weak as water. You see, that's the picture of despair from continued troubles and opposition and the judgment of God and particularly here for us, the discipline of God. Lord, can I take, can I do it? I'm weakened in my soul. The discipline of God is meant to strengthen us, but for many of us today, we are losing heart and we are, our hands are weak in our fight of faith. Strengthening yours and others' feeble knees. You see, by the way, this is not only an, an exhortation Paul is giving to the individual, to me, as I endure, but it's what we should be doing for one another. <clears throat> when we get together, we're supposed to strengthen each other, not beat each other down. That's what the world does. You, you, you came in here from that. 
Why do you bring that in here? Shame on you if you would do that. There's nothing glorifying about that. We're all coming in here enduring and believing and following God in, the, in, our, in our good fight of faith. And so we must strengthen one another's feeble, weakened hands and feeble knees. Now, when you get to be my age, and some of you are my age and a little older, man alive, you're trying to find that cream to rub on those knees, aren't you? You just can't seem to get them satisfied. And you young ones, it'll come. Don't worry. You don't think it will, but one of these days, you'll be looking for the... Uh, what kind of stuff do we rub on ourselves? Bengay. There you go. That's the nastiest smelling stuff I've ever had. Or somebody, somebody I love puts on tea tree oil. What in the world good is that? That does nothing but clean out your sinuses. I've never seen anything like it. feeble knees. It's hard to walk. The picture of this Greek word is paralyzed. It is the weak. The word weak is the word for paralyzed, paralysis. And this idea of feeble is the idea that it, there is a need for something on the knee to help, to help the knee to function. Just hard to walk with God in hard times. Strengthen yours and others' feeble knees. Make straight paths, third observation, for your feet as an example. When people watch you in these times, by the way, are they going to be closer to Jesus because they see how you live and talk and act and what you post and read and rant about? No, I mean seriously. When somebody in your family looks at you, are they going to say, I want to follow Jesus like, and they look at you. That's what he means here when he says, make straight paths for your feet. So that the, 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 the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. You see, we have a responsibility to be an example and also not to cause others to stumble. You know, I'm convinced of this. Backslidden believers are a plague in the church. That's right. Backslid, say the name, sing the songs, pray the prayers, know the verses, but no heart to follow God. Backslid. Say the prayers, sing the songs, preach the sermons, teach the verses, memorize all the things we've memorized, and yet holding on to the world at the same time. Backslidden. No power. No power from the Holy Spirit of God. It's a plague in the church. It's the pestilence in the church. It eats the church alive from the inside out. What does the devil need to do? Nothing. <laughs> Why do anything? The church is consuming itself from the inside because of our backslidden condition that we will not repent of, regardless of what God places on us. We see this over and over in the children of Israel. The pain was so great, even to the point of death, and they would not repent. Only a few. Which will you be? So this weekend, on Saturday, we say goodbye to one of the friends in this church. We'll have a service for him. And on Sunday, there'll be another service for another who's been here faithfully. Their days are gone. Their days are over. And some of you believe you still have plenty of time. Do you? Who told you that? Who told you that, those of you listening to me? Who told you that? Teach us to number our days. We only have but a few. What will we do for the glory of God? These days of discipline are brought upon us so that we might be ready now to serve others and not become a stumbling. Is your life a cause of stumbling for somebody else because of the way you act and live and your attitude? Well, Galatians 6.1 is clear. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you'll not be tempted. That's the gentleness we need. 
among us. So what about some things that we need to remember tonight? Well, I would just simply say these uh, several things to you, and I hope you'll just hear me, hear my heart. I love you in Jesus. I'm trying to be your pastor. I want to challenge you, but I want to encourage you. A Christian's temporary condition may be very bad because of God's goodness and discipline. A Christian's temporary condition may be very bad, and it might get worse because God's goodness is now being given to you in discipline. You have to think like that. You have to be able to bow your head and say, whatever is coming in your life, this is for my good. Some of you are listening to me and thinking, yeah, that's good for the preacher, but not for me. No, it's good for you. What's happening to me is good for me. That's learning to submit to God in His discipline. That's learning to submit to our Heavenly Father. Secondly, a Christian's temporary bad condition trains him to endure. Endurance is a matter of training. Endurance isn't just something you have. Endurance is a matter of training. And the difficulties are training. They are our training ground. They are the race set before us in order that we might learn to walk by faith and to fight the good fight of faith. Third, a Christian's temporary bad condition brings peaceful righteousness. I just want to have peace. You can have it in the midst of the chaos. I wonder tonight, do you have the peace of God? The peace that passes understanding? with all of this coming apart around us, with days like we never would have imagined. A Christian's temporary condition may be bad, and yet the Christian be very good. I want to say that again. A Christian's temporary condition may be bad, and yet the man be very good. We seek to serve the Lord. We seek to live in righteousness. We seek to walk with God. You may be filled and full of the Holy Spirit, but be in a very bad, bad place. You see, they go together. Temporary bad times help God's good people. Be even better. And finally, I would say to you this, a Christian's temporary bad condition is a temporary bad condition for his good. A Christian's temporary bad condition is a temporary bad condition for his good. Some of you think, well, I'm going to have only this much bad, and then I'm going to have this much good. Who told you that? Bad and good go together. We spent, we spent weeks on it together, as I was trying to share for it, from the basis of Romans 8, 28. And God causes all things to work together for good, and they're not all good. For those who love God and are called according to His purposes. For some of you thinking you're going to have just good days ahead and no bad, and no temporary times of badness is bad theology. You don't understand the Word of God. By the way, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, if you go back to Hebrews 12, <clears throat> maybe I should read this as we finish. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put 
to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. The best of God's men experiencing the worst from the world. Is it any different for you? No. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. Expect it. Accept it. Submit to it. So that the goodness of God, His love and His grace will be performed in your life so that you might live in the peaceful, peacefulness of living righteously in a wicked world. Number one, daily use. Remember the past great believers. Number two, set your mind on the endurance of the Lord Jesus. No one endured like our Lord, our leader, our Savior, our Lord. He overcame it all. And then ask yourself this question tonight. Why am I weak and feeble in my faith? Why am I weak and feeble in my faith? Strengthen your weak and feeble faith by prayer, Scripture, and faith in God's uh, work in your life in addition to fellowship with other believers. You know, there are some who've decided that church, they don't need it anymore. They've broken the habit. What a sad thing. The routine's been broken up. They've discovered that their commitment to following Jesus and fellowship with God's people is simply was simply just a custom they had and there was no heart and life in it. They've gone away. They've gone away. Will you go away? It's the old thing the preacher said. What is it that will make you quit following Jesus? What is it? What is it that will make you weak and feeble in your faith? What is it? And finally, encourage your weakened and feeble fellow believers. Look around. There are a bunch of weak and feeble people in here tonight. Look around. Look. look go ahead. Start, look around. Weak and feeble people, just like you. You're looking at one. Weak, feeble preacher. So what do we do? Shoot each other? Beat each other over the head? Name call? Ridicule? Strengthen. Strengthen somebody. Well, that's what the preacher's supposed to do. I'm going to do my part. I can't do it all. Nor can all the rest of our pastors. Nor can all of our deacons. Nor can all of our Sunday school teachers. Who are you going to strengthen today? Well, I need strengthening. Good. That's very selfish. Good for you. That may be part of your big problem. Your arrogance and selfishness. Strengthen those who are weak and feeble and encourage them by setting an example of strong faith, courage, and endurance. I leave you with these words, Isaiah 53, excuse me, 35.3. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's what the Lord Jesus did. I don't know if we're ever going to learn this. So we keep being disciplined in the same way because we won't learn it. Encourage the exhausted. You know anybody that's exhausted? I do. About, about out of gas. About done with it all. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Isaiah 35.3 and what did Paul say in 1 Thessalonians? The first letter he wrote to the first church, his first letter to the first church he ever wrote to, the Thessalonian believers. He loved them very much. He closes by saying this. This is the responsibility we have all to each other, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Warn the unruly. There can be unruly people in the church. Unruly people show up at the church house. What are you going to do? Warn them. But he goes on, warn the unruly, 
Comfort the feeble-minded. Oh, my dear friends, feeble-mindedness will take you so far away from God. Feeble-mindedness will destroy your faith. Comfort the feeble-minded and support the weak. And here's one for us all. Be patient toward all people. So may the Lord help us tonight to understand. God's discipline is temporary pain, but it has a promise of eternal peace. God's discipline is temporary pain, but it has a promise of eternal joy. And God's discipline is temporary badness, but there is the promise of eternal goodness. Well, may God bless His word to our hearts tonight. Let's go with the Lord in prayer. We're going to take just a few minutes to do this uh, together. I have three matters that I want us to pray about. We cannot, um, you know, just because we're trying to be respectful of one another in these days, uh, for health reasons, you know, we can't, can't come and pray together at the front, but you're in groups and you can pray together. Tonight we won't pray except to... alone with ourselves, with the Lord, as we do these things. But I want to guide you through some things I'd like for us to pray about for just a few moments before we go. And those of you who are joining us online, if you would like to join us for the next minute or two, I'll still be speaking about these things as we're praying. So we want now to come as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and pray. And we need to pray together about how we can learn to pray together more in these days Um, that we're in. Pray for one another, the Word of God tells us. Pray for one another that you may be healed. So we have to pray. We pray privately, but we must pray together. So let's bow and let me lead us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gathering of these people who are here tonight. We thank you for students who gather in other places and other Bible studies that go on here tonight. So tonight, Lord, first of all, we pray for one another. I I want us to pause. Now, whoever you're sitting by, whoever you're around, just find someone who's close by you and just pick them that you're going to pray for. Just look around if you need to or whoever who's coming to your mind. Let's pause and all pick one person that we'll pray for tonight. Let's all just for a moment. Let the Lord put somebody on your mind that you will pray for. Get that person's face in your mind. Now, Heavenly Father, you see all of our minds. You know what's in our hearts right now as we sit here. And you see the ones that we are all thinking about. We ask that you might bless them. First of all, that they might be saved and know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If they're backslidden, that they might repent of their sins and come back to the Lord, turn back to Him. If they're rejoicing in the Lord, may you fill them full of the Holy Spirit of God so that they might powerfully serve you in the days ahead. We pray pray a blessing upon them that comes only from your power and grace and mercy and kindness and comfort and joy from the Holy Spirit of God. Fill them full of the Holy Spirit of God. Convict them by the Holy Spirit of God and then teach them. And may they they experience the love of God being poured out in their heart. We pray for them, Lord. Some of us are praying for an enemy. We pray that you would bless our enemies. That you might be kind to them. That you might bless them that you might show them the way back to you. We pray for them that they might be shown mercy. We pray for those who are enemies to the gospel and to the church in our world today and for the government leaders who do not have anything good to say about the gospel, the word of God, or the church of the Lord Jesus. We pray for them tonight. Why do the nations rage? And imagine a vain thing against the Lord and against His anointed. So we pray for these now that we've presented them to you. 
Secondly, I'd like for you to pray again for revival for our church and the churches of the world. You can pray for our church tonight, or perhaps you pick a church you know. I'm thinking of some friends of mine in California who are in a, my dear brothers. We started a church together many years ago, and they are in times that, that don't even compare to what we're going through in Tennessee and others in other parts of the United States. Pick, pick a church right now in your mind. Now, Heavenly Father, we present these churches to you. These are your people. These are your saved ones. We know that you are disciplining them as you discipline us for our good so that we might share in your holiness. But they are in hard straits. Some of them facing government opposition and ridicule and mockery from the world that's become bold and they're arrogant rebellion against God and the things of God. We pray that you might bless them in the midst of their enduring troubles of persecution. May they, know, may they know, Lord, that in their persecution they are not forsaken, but you are there. Stir the church of God Make us different than we've been. We've been lukewarm, loveless, barren, and useless. Make us useful again. Make your churches useful, even in the suffering countries of the world. May they not give up. May the bad, hard times, may they see your goodness in them. Finally tonight, let's pray for our world. We pray for those who are in authority. So tonight, pick some part of the, of the world and what's going on that you want to pray about. Some of you are very knowledgeable about these things. In fact, you're so knowledgeable, it's got you... It's got you in the ditch in your faith. So maybe tonight you pray about what makes you mad in the world. That's what we do. Pray about what makes you mad. You have it in your mind? Heavenly Father, Peter reminds us that we're to make prayer for all men, all women, all boys and girls, all people on the earth. How we do that, we cannot understand, but we come to you now, each of us thinking about someone. We think about the many children tonight who are in need. So we pray for these. Who are in such troubles. So many of these things are caused by their own sin. They live in wickedness and they don't know any other way. They don't know the way of joy and peace. as you have done of old. May you do so again. May countless millions of people come to know Jesus Christ. May possible peace in the Middle East just for a while Make a bridge for the gospel. We don't understand how we pray for the dark, dark 
religiously lost of the world, blinded by the evil one, so that they may not see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe. And we pray that you would take the weakest of God's people and use them to do the greatest of God's work. And then we ask tonight, let's end by saying to the Lord, please forgive us. Perhaps there's something in your mind that you need to say to the Lord, Lord, you know, I'm really ashamed that this is what I've been doing. I'm ashamed of it. Well, tell the Lord. If you're ashamed of it, tell him and stop doing it. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limp, which is lame, may be put, may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Heavenly Father, we pray now, we bring ourselves before you and we ask that you might forgive us of our sins, that you might renew our joy in the Lord, that you might strengthen our faith, that you might give us power to endure, and that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. In all the bad conditions we face, we are, we are those who need your encouragement, and we thank you for it. The great comfort and encouragement of the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, thank you for your comfort and your grace and your power and your strength and your teaching and your being with us through all of this how we've enjoyed our time together. We thank you for the Word of God and its richness to our souls. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they might find their greatest joy in following Jesus in these days. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Say hello to somebody on your way out. Sunday morning, Sunday morning, come, come, come. Sunday school, worship, come, 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 invite your friends. And may the Lord bless you. Have a great week. God bless you.